You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would be with us as we discuss, as we think about your word, uh, that you might glorify yourself uh, during this time. And this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the type of adoption that we're talking about this morning is... uh, the work of God's grace by which he receives us as his very own children, as his very own sons, through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, Through this act of grace, believers become members of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of family membership. The term sons of God includes includes individuals of both sexes numbered among God's children. So I use sons of God not particularly to make a gender statement. I'm not trying to say that in Christ we all become male. Uh, but rather that the status bestowed on us is as sons of God, as if we were God's firstborn son. And that's where I want to, maybe we might be able to think about this more deeply. How does that work, um, that we become firstborn sons? Um, and I you know, I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, well, it's obviously because of Christ and he's the first one, so we become united to him, we become heirs of the promise, all that kind of stuff. But I want to kind of flesh that out more fully together. Um, but as much as I want to talk about theology, I want to and lay out the main bullet points, I want to try to focus on where we find this theology in Scripture because uh, this concept isn't something that's been made up by the church, but it's birthed from the Scriptures. Uh, so let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29, and see what God has to say to us today through the Apostle Paul. Uh, so Galatians three twenty-three to 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. This is uh, ESV, I think. Maybe NIV, but probably ESV. What makes you say that, Victor? Oh, I'm just curious. Um, this is the passage I f- wrote my first theological essay on back in 2007. So holds a little bit of dearness to me. Um, now, before we get stuck into how we are sons of God through faith in Jesus, I want to provide the background information so we can think about how it is that we got there. So Paul is writing to the Christians in Galatia who are being tempted by false teachers to put themselves back under the law of Moses. And it's this law of Moses that he's referring to in verse 23 that held them captive. But now faith has come, we are no longer under the law. So notice verse 29, though through faith we become become Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And this is where I want us to begin our journey, understanding the Old Testament background to this passage. So because 
In the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, who were considered to be God's adopted son. They are the Israelites, Paul says, and to them belongs the adoption in Romans chapter 9. We see this in Old Testament passages such as Exodus 4, 23 which says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill you, your firstborn son. And Hosea 11, 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, obviously, all of this is pointing to Jesus. Uh, but we also see this in Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah 63, 16, um, that Israel is considered the firstborn son of God. And out of all of the other people in the world, God had chosen them, specifically the descendants of Abraham, to be his people, be part of his family. But as a whole, Israel clearly failed in its calling to worship and serve the Lord. Come on in, Tim. You stuck? little bit. I was going to come in this way and sneak in without being a disruption. <laughs> there you go. There's irony involved in that. Isn't yeah. It? What you planned for evil, God intended for good. Um, so out of all the people in the world, let me give you one of these first. talking about how Israel was chosen as God's family, God's son. Out of all the people in the world, God had chosen them, specifically descendants of Abraham, to be his people, part of his family. But as a whole, Israel clearly failed in its calling uh, to worship and serve the Lord. And we all know this. They failed to honor the family name and to live up to the status that God had bestowed upon them. And generally speaking, God was far from them. And they were far from God. Israel and God didn't have a familial relationship with each other. And I need to flesh this out a little bit more, but Paul says that this is mostly because of the law and the way that God had revealed himself to them. And we know it's because of sin, but Paul's talking about the law as the guardian. Israel didn't really understand or relate to God as their father at this point in history. This is what we see in Galatians 3. Israel is under the guardianship of the law. The law is their parent. They related to God as judge and ruler, not as their father. But all of this uh, changes with Jesus. As we see in verse 24 of Galatians 3, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Jesus fundamentally changes the way that people relate to God. R.C. Sproul notes, the first Jewish rabbi to call God father directly was Jesus of Nazareth. It was a radical departure from tradition. And in fact, in every recorded prayer we have from the lips of Jesus, except for one, he calls God Father. It was for that reason that many of Jesus' enemies sought to destroy him. He assumed to have this intimate, personal relationship with the sovereign God of heaven and creator of all things. And he dared to speak in such intimate terms with God. We see this in the Gospels in John 15, uh, verse 18, sorry, John 5, verse 18. Uh, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son in the flesh, 
He is God the Son in relation to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. They are one being and three persons. And so have a very inexplicable and intimate relationship with each other. And Jesus is proven to be uh, God the Son at the resurrection when he raised to new life and is finally vindicated. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. If there was any doubt about, this, his creden- about Jesus' credentials, his bodily resurrection, which transformed him into his glorious body, confirmed that he was divine and had a unique relationship with God the Father, who he now sits next to in heaven. So this relationship that Israel had with God was you know, under the law, under the guardianship of law, and then Jesus comes and kind of changes all of that. Uh, and through faith, by the Holy Spirit, we enter into this mystical relationship that Jesus had with the Father when, when we are united to Christ. This union with Christ is often described in the Bible as being in Christ. This is what we see in Galatians 3. Paul says that, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. We don't become sons of God through our own ability, nor is it through our birthright. It's only when we are united to Christ by faith. Through our union with Christ, whatever happens to him happens to us. So that just as he is a son of God, so too we are sons of God, though abnormally. For, we're not, for we are sons of God through his choice. God adopted us to be his children. Through our union with Christ by faith, we become members of Abraham's family. That is, we are incorporated into the family line of the promise, which began with Abraham. And we become heirs of God's family according to our natural birthright. Sorry, not according to our natural birthright, but according to the promise of God to Abraham. I've been saying a lot already. Any points of clarification, any questions, any thoughts, disagreements? line of succession. I said this, I preached about this in the refectory. You know, you, you Republicans, you know, you just don't understand the line of succession of the heir. Right. Well, and this is where it gets tricky because I want to so emphasize the role of firstborn son, but then we see in the Old Testament that God doesn't really care about that at all. Like, you know, it's, it's um, Jacob who is the line of the promise. It's Isaac who's the line of the promise. It's not about the heir to the line of promise. So I've, I've got this real tension here in my thought, and my, my theology is probably not robust enough to really hold it together. That what does it mean to be the firstborn son? And I'm surely, I mean, surely it's got to do with Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But how does that all, how does that all fit together? Um, I need to clarify what it is that I'm trying to get across here. Does that make sense? God subverting the cultural norms. Yeah, so, and, and I guess the answer is faith. Um, I get, so my, I think my tension here is how can that subversion become the non-subversion, I guess, the type where we become then firstborn son. And I think, it, I mean, it's to do with faith and that subversion is it's no longer by birthright but adopted as children by faith. Um, the word of God. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, in New yeah, Testament, Tim. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, while he's mentioning his resume, right. it's kind of the. Uh, All of this, but loss. Yes. The, yeah. The quintessential Pharisaical 
not only his yeah. scholarly resume, but Benjamin was a Benjamin. Yeah. resume, right? Yeah. And this was this preceded his conversion uh, to to Christianity. Right. Yeah. Prior to that, it was more like he had to prove by by hereditary that his birthright was the right. son of the king. But as a Christian, he became adopted as that's right son of the Most High. That's right. Yeah. That's great, Tim. Yeah, Michael, yeah, Libby. This is backing up even further. Yeah, back up, back up the bus. And well, the male and female thing, and being the only female in the crowd. <laughs> I, I, I had thought about this before, but what what settled it for me? It's no, it's not an issue. It never was an issue. But yeah. Uh, mankind, mankind includes men and women. The word man is there, but mankind is men and women. Yeah. And it's very clear in a couple of scriptures, which I can't quote right now. And that that settled it. I thought. That's not an issue. Yeah. But people get hung up on that and want it to say woman every time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I want to interchangeably say sons of God and children of God at the same God, at the same the time. Sons of God means that, that's what I right. understood. That's what it means. Right. We take it to mean man to male. No, it does not mean male and female. Well, and, but then I want to hold on to that idea of firstborn son, so sonship, right. for the reason of being heirs of the promise. Um, so I want to continue to say son of God when I include all of mankind in that. That's what finally occurred to me. Yeah. It's never anymore. I'm not thinking just now. It means exactly Yeah. Well, and Paul in Galatians is tricky here because he's like, there's no male or female. There's no... And you're like, well, is Paul just a liberal, left-leaning progressive? Like, well, what's going on? Sense, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In salvation, yeah, by faith, we all we all become sons of God. Uh, okay, I'm back on. I'm going to get back into my notes, and we might find some more pockets of gold to talk about. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says this much better than I can. If Christ is Abraham's offspring according to the promise, then those who are Christ participating in Him by faith, whether Gentiles or Jews, are likewise Abraham's offspring. Uh, and he goes on to say, if the agitators had insisted to the Galatians that it was desirable and indeed necessary for salvation to become sons of Abraham by circumcision, Paul counters their arguments by insisting that union with Christ by faith is the only way of becoming Abraham's children in the sense that matters to God. So kind of what you're saying, Tim, it doesn't matter what birthright you are, uh, it's all about faith in God through Christ, faith, faith in Christ, but yeah. You get what I mean? So as Abraham's children, we become heirs of all the promises that God made to Abraham and to the people of Israel, which to summarize them is to say that one day we will perfectly be God's people, dwelling with him physically, though also emotionally and spiritually and so many other ways as well, perfectly obedient to his rule and blessing. Uh, And all of that to say is we are brought into the family of God, we are made sons of God, through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's totally and completely an act of God's grace. Uh, that is our adoption. I want to tease out a few implications about this, and I'll probably talk about this more next week. Um, number one, because we are in Christ, we become members of his family. Uh, so I love the doctrine of adoption. It's probably my favorite doctrine. Um, J.I. Packer said it's the highest blessing of being a Christian. Uh, But I love it because of the thought that by the grace of God, we are taken from being enemies of God, alienated and hostile in our minds, as we read today in the lectionary, totally and utterly against Him, 
we go from that to being part of his family. Uh, the image I have in my mind of this is from being a stranger out on the street, though probably much worse than that in God's mind, to being brought into the family home, seated at the dinner table, enjoying the family meal, which in our case would be the wedding feast of the Lamb. So we get taken from being maybe probably thrown in prison to seated at the family meal, eating the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because we are members of God's family, Paul will go on to explain in chapter 4, we too can call God our Father. We no longer relate to God as a distant uh, God. We are no longer separated from Him. We can now talk to Him and we can be with Him as Father. And I'm going to tease out a few more of those implications next week. Uh, Because we are in Christ, we become heirs of all that God has promised. And primarily that is salvation. And this is where the language of sons of God is important. I want to maintain the notion of all Christians being a son of God because of the concept of line of succession, as we've been talking about. It's through the firstborn son, the heir, uh, that the line of succession flows. So we become the firstborn son of God, heir to the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is God's firstborn son, only begotten son. Uh, this This doesn't mean we all become men but that we are considered to be heirs of the family fortune. And I'm sure there's a lot more there that I need to think about and tease out. Lastly, for us, uh, because we are uh, in Christ, adopted as sons of God, we become brothers and sisters together with him. Uh, All Christians are part of God's family, the church. We are brothers and sisters together with Christ. We have a responsibility and a bond with each other. We need each other, and we have each other. I think I need to focus on that second part. We have each other more than we need each other. We all know that we need each other, don't we? We all get lonely. Uh, But I need to kind of drill home to myself that we have each other. Um, So as Liverpool Football Club are seeing before each of their games, you will never walk alone. Um, There's a lot more to say, and I want to hope to say more next week. Um, but that's all I was able to prepare this week. Um, so any question, any more questions, any comments, any points of clarification? What do you like about the doctrine of adoption? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you're talking about that, I mean, yeah, that acceptance is so big, isn't it? Like thinking about my own familial struggles, a lot of it's to do with not being able to receive the love of my parents or you know, not understanding the, that relationship. But in, in Christ, in God, we have all of that. We have all that love, all acceptance, security, safety. Yeah. That's interesting because it does. Yeah. Uh, I'm in counseling for that, Libby. So. Well, I was, uh, we're not, but <laughs> we could counsel others. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was yeah. interesting. Because you didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got. Anything, anything else for the class, anyone? No? Great. Well, let me pray for us, and then we all have some coffee. Uh, dear loving Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that in Jesus Christ we are considered your children, uh, adopted as uh, heirs of the promise. Uh, we thank you that uh, in him we have uh, every spiritual blessing in Christ uh, in the heavenly realms right now. Uh, and we ask that you would... By the power of your spirit, uh, 
implant that knowledge deep within our hearts that it would uh, remind us so greatly of the love that you do have for us in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.